are listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures. In tonight's episode, we crash the phone booth for a two and a half hour girl session about the birds, a film by Alfred Hitchcock, and a book about the film by Camille Pallia. Features your host, Alec Mohibian, and guest stars a fine feathered friend of the show, Jack Mason of the Perfume Nationalist. I'll be back with a little more on tonight's adventure after this word from our sponsor. Quick note before we begin. Filthy Armenian Adventures is an interdimensional travel program that takes you deep into the cultural mysteries of our strange and interesting times. In search of truth, in search of gold, in search of lost friends and unsung heroes, in search of John Galt's motor. The show is supported entirely by patrons at patreon.com slash filthy Armenian. Patrons get access to twice as many adventures, including the most intimate and scandalous ones, plus regular 5 to 15 minute smoke break mini episodes on movies, shows, and topics of the urgent moment. Patrons also get first dibs on our next live event. The first two were a smash. It's very easy to keep filthy Armenian adventures alive. You can still listen to the premium feed on Apple or Spotify or your favorite app. And you can do so with the pride that you're putting a little bit of money where your soul is. More patrons means more landmarks, more hotspots, more secret locations and forbidden territories around the world and the world that is Los Angeles, our apocalyptic headquarters. It means we'll be able to track down more enchanting figures in the landscape and dare them to abandon their masks. Patreon.com slash Filthy Armenian. Gracias for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome back. Perhaps you are wondering why I'm wearing this wig of luscious orange hair. You see, I have a little red rooster, too lazy to crow for days, and it's left something of a power vacuum in my barnyard. Everything is all a twitter. A sinister bird brain has snuck in here, trying to exploit the chaos, and I must find a way to shut up her deafening campaign. Unfortunately, I shall be doing so on an empty stomach, as my chickens haven't laid an egg all week. To deal with that problem, it appears I'm going to need the help of a trained professional. So I've hired a poultry therapist from one of the most highly recommended outfits in Hollywood. It is called Zanku Chicken.
And like a kiss being blown. And like a bird, we are back on the air for a bull session with my dear friend Jack Mason of the Perfume Nationalist. Exactly five years from the beginning of his uh, reality-altering radio intellectual nighttime soap opera going on the air. And two years after we celebrated with his first appearance on this show, we celebrated him becoming a full-time uh, broadcaster. Um, he returns now to continue to continue a, a firework we set off about a month ago on his show when covering sexual personae and Camille Paglia. To con- continue that and possibly set off another firework regarding someone who has been probably the most fundamental to my passion for movies as a as an art form instead of just something to you know be excited about as a kid but as a as a as something to to like to study and obsess over the most fundamental figure for me and I think the figure most synonymous with cinema as an art form itself if there was to be one name there was to be one name without which the whole edifice crumbles apart and the entire history of the movies is swept away with the, in the tides of fashionable uh, taste and opinion and technology. That name, that indispensable name is Alfred Hitchcock. And it's a name that has been kind of pecked at, pecked at by the little, by the little crows of feminist critique for decades and decades, finally somewhat basically canceled in the 2010s, but whom Camille Paglia, in one of her brief but spectacular works, resurrects and preserves for all time. Um, And that work is the book she wrote called The Birds for BFI Film Classic Series, which are, you know, short 100-page monographs, Exclusive by different writers exclusively about one movie. Friend of the show, David Thompson, did one about The Big Sleep. Camille Paglia did one about The Birds, where she does a frame-by-frame analysis, celebration, and gossip sesh, private bull session with the reader over what might be Alfred Hitchcock's finest movie. There are so many to compete with, but from a pure, like, perfection standpoint, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to beat. And I'm really excited to talk about the movie, to talk about Palia's uh, view of the movie, and to also address all the ways in which Alfred Hitchcock, this particular movie and this book about the movie, speak to our very own moment right now. There are a lot of eerie overlaps, as eerie as the, as the, as the strange silences that end many of the scenes prior to the bird attack. Jack, how's it going? Uh, great. Uh, nobody cares about Hitchcock anymore, right? Like, nobody even, no. you know, the days of these movies being on those lists is over, right? Well, last I saw, Vertigo wasn't even in the top 10 in the new... Uh, so it's just not even... It, it was so... This is how far things have fallen and how fast. The, I think it's the sight and sound poll, right? Uh, that the, the big one, the top 100... Mm-hmm. where it was Citizen Kane forever, 
And then in around 2001, and you know, correct me on, fact check me, or 2001 or 2006 or sometime there, there was the big drop where for the first time ever, it was no longer Citizen Kane, it was Vertigo. Vertigo had right, leapfrogged right. Citizen Kane. Well, nobody um, cares and at about the time, Citizen Kane anymore or knows what that is. Nobody either. cares about Citizen Kane. When we were growing up, it was cliche to the point of like, it was like you were almost motivated to deny Citizen Kane because it was so cliche that it was the greatest movie ever made. Well, and then you watched That's how it and I was, saw how like peppy and actually fun it was, <laughs> or at least I did. It's so you know? fun. It it's just sounded when comedy. it was at the top of all those lists when you're like a kid, like it would be like. I don't know, Das Boot or something, <laughs> you know, something right, really boring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's like really uh, peppy and exciting and uh, fun and fast paced. But uh, yeah, no one, I mean, like people don't have the intellectual capacity to watch a Hitchcock movie now. They used to show, uh, they used to show Hitchcock movies to you in like film class to show you what like storyboards are. And like dissect the scene and like show you how to make movies, how movies are made and stuff. But um, I would assume uh, that uh, this is just, this world is just completely gone. Cause weren't, um, weren't on the last Brett Easton Ellis where he had uh, Quentin Tarantino, weren't they doing like some sort of Gen X? galaxy brain thing about Hitchcock that only Matt would have mattered in 1985. Exactly. Quentin Tarantino said how he hates vertigo. Yeah. So people, um, those really old Gen Xers, uh, they're still stuck in some moment in like 1985 where they're like rebelling against this like college classroom that teaches like Ingmar Bergman and Hitchcock. They're all like that. They still think they're living in that world. And like, no, you're not living in that world. You're living in the world where, like, Get Out is <laughs> at the top yeah. of these lists. You're, at the top you're of fighting against and nothing. Like... And, um, yeah, Hitchcock was, I think Hitchcock was one of the first uh, movie people that I heard described as a misogynist long before uh, wokeness or anything. Oh, uh, yeah. My, like, mentor slash best friend uh, who was an older Gen Xer. Uh, implanted that idea that uh, Hitchcock was a misogynist. And it's like, uh, of course, true in the sense that like, if you tell elemental truths about gender, then that's considered misogynist. But, you know, what do you want? Like a Hitchcock movie with like a rocket scientist a dorkable chick who's like fucking a guy on top with a bra on and who never once talks about a guy when she's in a scene with other, another woman something because we've seen what that looks like all the scene all, in this one yeah we've seen what that looks like because that's been implemented for years in all movies uh all the rules of feminism and uh going against tropes and uh going against stereotypes so now we have that world um, and I'm just wondering, do people like it uh, just to see endless female characters uh, of that nature and uh, in uh, such as in True Detective Women talking, um, you know, they're just it, it, there's this forced kind of humor to it because they have to show that the women are like salty and funny and not like, right. uh, 
not like a serious hysterical broad. So they're always like, fuck you. I'm going to clip my fucking toenails. Like, I guess yeah. people like that. The, 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 um, the, the acerbic consolations of the postmenopausal, uh, you know, basically uh, old maid who has, who has cases to solve instead of, men to to men to defeat yeah. <laughs> instead of men to deal with so and it, it's got like the, the i mean world that they wanted um they got the world that they wanted they couldn't just dead. sit back it's... and like look at hitchcock movies and be like that's a cool thing from the past <laughs> you know that which is what you're supposed to do you're just supposed to look at it and go oh that's cool this is cool it's cool that this is hitchcock what was the first yeah hitchcock was the first person that was the first director that I recognized as a director because he was, you know, revered when I was growing up still. It, this all, again, this all happened, this all went off a cliff. Like, the misogynist part, the misogynist charges had been levied at him for decades. To the, I mean, Kapalia addresses them in this 1999 book. Like, it, in the main text, she's talking, it, she, yeah, she has a... It didn't matter because it was just some remote academic feminist thing like the ordinary person and like the ordinary kind of like media about movies like those like warner brothers 100 years of movies they like those wouldn't talk about things like feminism in my interview with her head tippy hedron rejected the widespread theories about hitchcock's misogynist malice this is in 1999 so Polya did talk to tippy hedron before she got um you know before the uh, the the canaries of the Me Too movement swooped in to claim her in the 2010s, and before she, I think, I guess she has entered a a state in the last 10 years as exemplified. And by the way, I should mention here, you know, we scheduled this episode because I went on to do Sexual Personae, and I wanted to talk about Hitchcock at some point on my show, and I was like, let's do Hitchcock and the Birds and Polya after, and you suggested this date which we're recording right now, two days after Tippi Hedren's 94th birthday. I found during out she which was alive. We, yeah, we, we all found out she was alive, and during which a, a woman who has blocked me on Twitter named Joyce Carol Oates uh, posted, the following, the, posted the following thing which explains the entire rubble of culture that we kind of, we, we, we amble through today. Um, and here's what she posted. And this is someone who supposedly, she herself is 700 years old, and she supposedly believes in art and literature. She supposedly practices it. And it's very clear from this post, like just exactly what kind of attitudes and ideologies were permitted through the gates by the darlings of the establishment for decades and allowed to destroy everything. So good that Tippi Hedren outlived the misogynist bully who threatened to destroy her career by more than 40 years. Hitchcock died in 1980. So this is also a, what a veiled her threat. What career is those two movies that Hitchcock Those two made. movies and nothing else. Those, and she found, and, her career is being a Hitchcock woman. That's her career. Is two movies. A Hitchcock blonde, no less. 
a Hitchcock blonde. What was she he discovers to do? To, like go through the seventies and uh, I don't even know what else she did besides the nineties straight to video sequel birds to land end lands end, which I liked when I was a kid. <laughs> oh shit. No, I didn't even know that. It's really was. bad, but I had the video cassette. Uh, my mom bought it for me from Avon. Um, but I mean, Hitchcock yeah, found out in an ad. Tippi Hedren's alive for one thing. Every, we I found out she's I alive. We found out was... Joyce Carol. We, yeah, we know Joyce Carol Oates is alive because she posts all day. Well, Joyce Carol Oates is an amazing phenomenon uh, because she's 80 years old, but posts in the voice of, a, of the flawless voice of a really dumb, like 24 year old of today yeah and i just can't even comprehend how you can be that old and live through that many decades and absorb like in this like shape-shifting xenomorph way the posting language of zoomers not even like smart zoomers but um she looks like a ventriloquist doll so maybe <laughs> there's some maybe there's some sort of yeah her being on twitter Twilight has just style. absolutely uh uh, ruined her legacy forever, um, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I guess Tippi Hedren and the birds uh, shared in that like Shelley Duvall, Stanley Kubrick, like Facebook meme format is one of those little tropes and stories that like dumb people who don't watch movies know about um, that he vaguely did something wrong. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. It was 1963. Uh, the problem clearly was that he was fat and unattractive. Um, yeah, that's that his crime. It, that it, that, that made creepy. He didn't like rape her. Uh, no, also, he uh, for the record, she should. She was like the one who didn't sleep with him, so she should have just shut up and slept with him. So instead of complaining, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a reasonable deal to. Uh, Sleep with a fat, repulsive genius one time and get two movies who out of him and be you, a legend forever. Who, That's a what? What is it to you to open your legs one time in fucking like Mad Men era? And you know he's your not daughter is Melanie Griffith. That long. Like the whore of all time. Like you can't do it one time. Right. Okay, great, good. I'm so proud of you, but. You help, hey, you made it to 94 without opening it up to she Hitchcock one time. But yeah, I guess she looks incredible. Janet she's, Lee she, dead. <laughs> the yeah, other she's, one. She worked, I mean, she's she's actually one of, so Palia makes a big point about how she, like she, she's the first person in forever to actually celebrate Tippi Hedren's performance in this movie, which is truly a marvel She's and amazing. i think people just get the blondes just get blended in their head i think people just i think people experience hitchcock blonde blend when they're just going through his over i'm talking about the alternative history when people did that when people went through the hitchcock over and um and i think that that it may get lost in the well they you know straight people love grace kelly for example so they're going to be you're always going to hear the straight guy say that grace kelly's number one um and and you know there's of course Janet Lee Janet Lee and and um, Kim Novak and so on, but she's perfect in this movie. She's incredible. Talia does a great job of celebrating it. Her facial expressions throughout, which Hitchcock described as never once being like never once like being excessive. I mean, her, everything she does 
every little dart of her eyes, every little like turn of her head, you can see her thinking and every thought has a point that you don't even hear, just like the silent thoughts that she's having in the course of this. There are long shots of her smoking a cigarette, dangling a telephone cord, uh, a, a flick, holding a pencil, all these like, uh, th- th- this wonderful Freudian imagery that she uh, maneuvers expertly and, and, and the walking around and like the creeping around and the trotting and, the, and like the sprinting around purposefully when she's in her playgirl mode. It's all so, it's all so precise and like so graceful um, that that she, was something I really appreciated. She's the ultimate it this Hitchcock time. woman because she's the most totally icy and abstracted one in the most totally icy and abstracted Hitchcock movie, uh, where it's just basically congealed into this perfect block of ice, the world he always wanted, where like no one shits. No one eats. No one eats. <laughs> Every, everything is no one eats. Beautiful and perfect. Her hair looks like cotton candy. Uh, yeah. Never gets messed up. Uh, every everything is perfectly controlled and aestheticized. She's, you know, like the other Hitchcock women, uh, all have more humanity that seeps through, and she's the perfect, most icy one. And then she's perfect in Marnie, too, which was basically the sequel to this about her being frigid. I mean, and it's fucking great. <laughs> I think about it all the time. Uh, but I have to rewatch that. It's been a long time, and I've only seen it once. People, you know, Oh, it's incredible. I think about it every day where uh, she has these red flashes whenever she's something reminds her of her like repressed trauma of her like whore mother fucking sailors in the room when she was a kid. So I always get like these red Marnie flashes when something makes me really angry. Um, <laughs> and, I remember uh, that that movie. Yeah, that movie was really panned, wasn't it? Like, yeah, yeah that, that that was like that's what everyone singles out as the downfall of Hitchcock. It was considered misogynist even in like 1964. <laughs> yeah, because right. she's just like she's just like frigid and. Sean Connery rapes her, maritally rapes her, and that makes it okay. You know, like, spot the lie, but, right. uh, you know, even in 1964, that was considered uh, a little barbaric. Uh, but, yeah, it's great. It's perfect. On the pantyhose. On the, yeah, I have to rewatch that. But not it was written by that. a woman, Jay Preston Allen. <laughs> she wrote the script or the novel? She, uh, the or script. Both. She wrote that script, script, and she wrote Cabaret. She was a cool old uh one of the big women screenwriters um but takes one to know i mean you know yeah uh and i I think i don't know beyond the fact that no one watches hitchcock anymore i think people just are over overthinking things like some things aren't that hard you look at hitchcock movies and you say isn't that beautiful isn't that cool isn't this a wonderful and evocation you, of a previous time? You don't have to be thinking about gender roles. It's all there if you want it. Uh, but you don't have to be thinking about that. Just fucking look at the cool coffee shop they go into. Just you don't need to be thinking about this oh my garbage. God. That diner, that <laughs> restaurant is my favorite in yeah. all of history. 
of all time. Well, the I one they go in in like North by Northwest, the tides, like a, like a lodge. Tides. You know the one I'm thinking of with that like vaulted yeah, every roof. T- right, yeah, right, right. That, that one's great. I mean, every Hitchcock. I mean, every Hitchcock restaurant scene is spectacular because he was himself such a fussy gourmand uh, and like you could just tell that he had an eye for every little element of the dining experience i mean the one in what which the famous restaurant in vertigo in san francisco that they go to uh, uh it which is real i forget the name of it not chasen's but some i i don't know maybe I, it, the the these those huge portions that they're serving these like dainty chicks and women and the society you know socialites in there i'll uh-huh. never forget that when they bring out like a giant like a huge fish for like one little <laughs> dainty socialite yeah at, at I, one of the tables no it's incredible I, I just there's this general problem that i sense everywhere where people keep like scrutinizing like music lyrics too much for like the content of the performer and like scrutinizing just like little like storyline mechanics. It's like, no, you don't like people watch these movies back in the day. They would just come on on TV and you said, Oh, that's cool. And then later, if you were into movies, you found out how perfectly constructed and immaculate and kind of psychotic they were. But you don't actually need that. You don't need to be thinking about gender. You don't need to know who Tippy Hedren is. I know that none of you know who that is. You don't need to know who that is. Nobody knows who anybody is. If you don't know who Hitchcock is, you don't know who Tippy Hedren is. Like, you're not going to come at me with Ice Spice or whatever and then say you know who Tippy Hedren is and have an opinion about that. I've told the story in my... In, uh, to you privately, I don't know if I've said it on this show, but I probably have because it will never leave me ever. When I, out of the politeness of my, out of out of the gallantry and the chivalry of my uh, homosexual bachelor heart, once told a female film director of an absolutely horrible movie, totally talentless woman, told her that she reminded me of physically of. Kim Novak. And I think I actually said Tippi Hedren, but I meant, but I, it was corrected to Kim Novak because it was from, I had the names, their names were mixed up even in my head. I meant Kim Novak from Vertigo. They, she, looked, she looked very much like her in a certain kind of way. Also was from San, San Francisco. And she, she like, she snapped at me because she thought that I was making a move on her which can you imagine the horror of making a move on her? Oh my we were God. At a film festival, not making a move. Other, some shitty, not making a move. Woman that, she was like, she was like, that was very, Is this the director of true detective women talking that you made exactly. Her? No, no, literally this is who is going to direct Just like some dumb bitch, I, completely dumb bitch made a horrible, horrible, horrible documentary. Boringest movie I've I'm ever had to see. Documentary. Just women are always like, I'm making a documentary. It was a documentary about a, a some some broad in Iceland who claims she sees elves, and like everyone yeah, in town stupid. takes her seriously. You should watch Hitchcock exactly. instead. You should watch the bird yeah, exactly. instead of watching some you woman watch, director's director. You should watch Kim Novak in Vertigo, and you should watch yeah, watch real movies. <clears throat> um, anyway, she snapped at me, and then of course, and 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 her reason was, well, you know, I'm I'm like the one female director here, and there's three guys. Because we were three of us, three there were three men or four men and her, 
And she's like, you know, I just think it's it was like this was a classic 2020. This is 2020, right before the pandemic. This is like that first. This is like that first crow, that first seagull flying in <laughs> on on Tipri Hedren's head on Bodega Bay as she splits Bodega Bay into two with her boat. There's like whap. That was like that incident, and then from then on, the plague began. And well, re- the, revisiting uh, this movie sued. Uh, made it gave me a TPN fifth anniversary flashback to the beginning of the show when I was like really uh, uh, talking bad about women like every episode and I got it all out of my system and now I don't really talk that bad about them people used to get really mad about it now I'm just like you know whatever feminists all my uh, uh, fans are women whatever um because you don't have to deal with them anymore i don't have to <laughs> deal have to i don't have them. any resentment for them because i don't have one as my boss it's plain it's simple right. as so the, <laughs> but but the first like 25 episodes were just um me saying how women are like elementally evil it was very informed by of course Polya and also by her analysis of this movie because what is this movie about but uh how women's sexual liberation uh brings about a elemental plague that destroys society that's what this movie is about it, it's about every it's about every <laughs> the birds are women of, being yeah. free and destroying everything are being free and just destroying everything <laughs> and also fighting back also also it's women devouring women devouring other women but since um, it's an entertainment like it, and a brilliant entertainment the casual observer can watch this and you know it can just be about a mysterious Ooh, plague of birds uh yeah that comes in and that's what it's like when you're a kid and you watch it but no it's about you know she's a, she's a play girl she's fucking around she has all of her daddy's money she's leaping around in fountains in rome she has this reputation it's the beginning of the 60s women's liberation is happening um the the central family and the birds doesn't have a patriarch it's just yeah you know mitch and then the mother the daughter the weird quasi lesbian uh suzanne pochette <laughs> ex-girlfriend Who's amazing Ama- i'm such i'm su- i'm a more of a suzanne pochette fan than i am a tippy hedron fan and i love uh i love that Polya in the book is really horny for suzanne pochette because she's one oh, of the most amazing she can't stop She's she's, she's, she's so incredible. Horny. Suzanne Pochette was so classy and so beautiful, and people kind of don't know who she is now because she wasn't in like she after this she was most famous just on the Bob Newhart show as like the wife, and she did like sitcom roles. Uh, but she's incredible. She's just so classy. Her voice, yeah, her voice, her <laughs> she has an energy that you all, like even. Even in the context of the of great like golden age Hollywood female performances, which you know, to, for my money, uh, peaked during the screwball comedy era with the with the with the with the Stanwicks and the and the whole roster of them. Even with that that even among all of that, she has like a vibe that just pops in this movie that you just almost never see anywhere. Polya describes it perfectly. The way she's at the same time she's like she's learned, she's 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 like she's lusty she has a heart like she's she's fr- sexually frustrated but not clearly not done like yet uh she clearly has a 
a, a kind of lust and like this forlorn hope for somehow backing into Mitch again. Um, and despite her defeated, and, and she also has this like minor depressiveness, but also this classiness and like, there's something about her that's just everything wrapped up into one defeated, but don't count her out type of woman. And it's Such so an mesmerizing. Little undefinable character. And I just, that, uh, dikey sexiness between them. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. that, like Mulholland drive kind looks. of like blonde and brunette, like, Blonde and brunette competing with each other. Them, it's so hot. Without, <laughs> with with, but also like it's a it's this brutal competition. Yeah. <laughs> Female blood sport literally becomes one without a single like shot fired, without like a single uh, gun pointed and sh- shot at the other person. It's all like. It's all through ice. They it's an ice battle all the way. Like no, they don't say one intentionally cross word to each other. It's all reactions to Tippy Hedren's going to stay for the weekend now. Tippy Hedren's going to find Mitch now. They they oh so you knew him from the city too, huh? It's all it's all factual, inoffensive information being exchanged, and the icy. The the just the the you know the scaldingly icy reactions to it and and also you know how they kind of find a truce too at a certain point mm-hmm. um, when it, it, which is part of it too it's it's brilliantly performed directed conceived uh, framed I mean there's like so many frames in this movie could just straight up be paintings and you would be and like think about this should be a museum if, if you follow the whatever women talking rule that they can't be talking about a man uh, all scenes go away you would you, you wouldn't you wouldn't have those amazing scenes between them or you would have them and they're just talking about smoking weed and farting yeah like in the it would be like broad city where yeah uh where that's what it would become like compared to all the all the bechdel test scenes that they implement in modern movies have this amazing falseness where like in all the the horror movies where they show like a fatherless family with like a a red-haired mother with gender goblin kids a single mother uh they'll have the bechdel test scenes and it's always like the woman has an interest in vinyl records uh and they still will refer to it like a man negatively it'll always be like your father knew less about records than me. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you your have father, <laughs> who I stole the idea of liking records from, knew less about records than me because nobody ever, no woman in the history of ma- mankind, except maybe Camille Paglia, has ever on her own gotten the idea of obsessing over vinyl records. It's, it's, it would be something that she got from her dad or from, from her brother or from her boyfriend if there is such a woman and there's probably three of them in all of the United in all of like the global uh in all of planet earth and look, it, well, I mean we're all sick and fucking tired of this shit right we're all is anyone all, not sick and tired of this shit uh I don't know I don't know what people I don't have an accurate read on do what normies know anything think about um 
I don't think people have thoughts anymore is the problem. It's not that they, they think, think about this Taylor or they Swift. Think that. I know that. That's the only thing. Like, it's oh, just yeah. They'll con- think about exactly. There's the constant uh, either low level or uh, forefronted Taylor Swift derangement going in every which way uh, related to every topic. Like, she's the only thing that people really think about. And it's I like think vehement that anger about her usually. <laughs> I think that's I think that's where we're at um, with normies, which includes, by the way, a whole bunch of all the conservatars and right wing anons are all normies. By the way, I think they're all normies. Like normie yeah, now. we've we've I think pulled the of, pulled the Wizard of Oz curtain back, and they've all been revealed yeah. to be normies and essentially libtards too. Um, Basically, I mean, culturally libtards for sure, because they have absolutely no frame of reference beyond the current thing discourse cycle and they don't want anything i mean they don't want they don't show any desire for anything else like there are these flashes of like showing off the pdf knowledge but i don't know where that goes i don't know if they want more that's just of the pdf that's knowledge just a, no the pdf knowledge is just is you know i used to think i used to, so my career now is now entering my, my Twitter career is entering. I started paying attention in 2020. So it's like almost four years. I started really paying attention, obviously, when we met, when we got, when we started talking, which was late, uh, beginning of 21. Women but talking. Women talking. Yeah. When women started talking, like 1950s, chatting on the ni- 1950s style over the phone, <laughs> um, there was a sense to me. That, you know, I found it all, I was in that innocent honeymoon phase with the, with finding all of everyone, you know, even the dirtbag leftists, all of them, where I was just like, oh, wow, there's someone other than a Bechtel test, like, squawking uh, a seagull from, like, improv class, like, as the only thing where that exists like, oh my in God, America. this whole new world where everyone thinks just like me because you haven't yet been, like, put in the stocks on the town yeah, square. Yeah, you haven't been, like... <laughs> Yeah, you haven't been trapped no in the reason. telephone booth. <laughs> right, you haven't been t- trapped in the telephone booth as all the birds are unleashed. And it's more like it's the diner scene where everyone's having... it's The diners, by the way, the diner scene. I, 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 let's let, put a pin on that because the, the diner scene is, to me, the, the one of the most prescient, uh, um, if not straight up prescient, things in this entire fucking movie. And there's many. But that scene, which is basically the discourse cycle, basically the group chat of our times, there is this there is this uh, 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 obvious plague, obvious, horrific, very real thing descending upon this town. And all they can do is there's the one PDF old lady who I love, by the way, the 84-year-old. Um, yes, amazing. Uh, you know that yeah, the eighty-four-year-old. I forget she's someone that Hitchcock brought in from England. Uh, amazing, amazing, perfect, perfect character. I was like, oh, literally me. The or or in the amateur amateur ornithologist, however you call it, whatever you call it, expert on birds. She starts giving all her PDF bird knowledge. How no, this can't be a coordinated attack. Birds never flock to together. All this, she's like correcting everyone. There's a drunk Irishman going. It's the end of the world. It's the it's the end of the world. Just biblical, you know, like a, he has like a biblical end times reaction to everything. There's uh, there's the mother who's going. You're scaring, you're scaring the children. The children. You're, children. Scaring, you're scaring the children. You're scaring. Stop talking. 
You're scaring the, the children. Always an yeah. annoying do, archetype is the mother who doesn't want the children scared. Which it's really her that's scared. That's the thing. Yeah. That I mean, it's, the children couldn't give a shit. The children are off on the side, but she's the one who's freaking out. And she's like saying, you're doing this is another trope that it's a trope, but it's also reality because every time women uh, have a fear of something for themselves, they turn it into this. But the children, save the children, protect the children. You know, we see this in liberal politics and conservative politics. Yeah, it's always bargaining with, uh, not bargaining, but uh, bludgeoning with uh, children. And it's, none of these people ever, like, actually appreciate children as human beings. It's always just kind of uh, abstract political arguments about protecting whatever you think their purity is. Whether their purity is uh, their right to go trans under your direction at 10 years old or it's, you know, your trad fantasies of keeping them from going trans at 10, I don't know, whatever, your your conservator uh, argument where they have to be like Catholic and homeschooled and, you know, they're going to turn out to be really annoying on the internet. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, the, 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 at one point... The lady goes, uh, at one point, somebody screams, what is it? I'm I'm trying to find it here. Um, Um, At one point, somebody sees, somebody's like, we're under attack and you are all just sitting sitting here debating. And it's it, there. There was that woman who says that, and and it was like it was great. That was like I think that's the mother who too who said who freaks out toward the end with that same comment where she does kind of like she does kind of like you know I mean yeah that's all people that's all people are going to do is just debate debate debate. There's nothing else to do. Um, I, there's no there's no way to there's no way to fully re like there's no way to fully process a real attack and if anybody prophesizes it they're just going to be dismissed as crazy or as a chaos or as like a chaos monger which is kind of like that's basically what like tippy hedron is the one uh uh melanie the character is the one who comes with you know she's blamed for bringing this which she does she's blamed for causing the this this mayhem yeah because it starts with her with her uninvited um migration to bodega bay and and then later when the when the huge the huge like the the gas the fire thing and the big attack the huge town attack happens that same mother the same big mouth mother libs of tiktok mother uh chea what's her name in in the diner the character prophetically named chea rachek or whatever (laughs) she goes she she blames her straight up she's like you're evil I think you're evil. And then and then uh, Tippy smacks her across the face. Amazing. Which is really the only way to end certain certain ridiculous arguments. I can't remember if um, uh, Pags says it in the book, but uh, the title, The Birds, means the women too. I mean, this is like 60s yeah. British people slang for women. The birds. It is the women. Birds <laughs> means women, yeah. yeah. The birds is a British slang term for women. I mean, it's it's obvious from... Uh, Polya bring you. You think that oh, this is just a poly. This is not just like a Polya analysis thing. It's no, it's, 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 not, the, it's, it's the most it's obvious not, thing. It's not the- people. People being like, 
Star Wars episode. It's not your little whatever like no. YouTube clip idea of something Polya made up. It's that's it's a hundred percent about. <laughs> yeah, the entire movie is about women and what they and how they kind of uh you know women versus women and also the in the dom and the battle for a woman's dom control over men. Um, and it's like overtly the case. There are other scholarly books. There was like one, the one that she quotes from often is also called A Mother's Love some, uh, by somebody named Wood who wrote, wrote a book about the birds. Um, it's every single, chir- every single presence of the bird, of, of the birds, the chirps, the sounds, everything is directly cause and effect connected with a bit of you know, dramatic competition moment between the women, um, mm-hmm. between typically, especially between Mitch's mother and, and Tippi Hedren, uh, as she arrives and also between Tippi Hedren and Plachette, um, and also in every which way. And also so many just general ones, like somebody says, you know, every time somebody says that birds are, oh, the birds, they just mind their own business. Some woman from somewhere is going to go, four fried chickens right now, come on! <laughs> like from in the in the diner. <laughs> every time someone reject, everyone, somebody claims that the birds are just peaceful creatures minding their own business. There's a some squawking woman. All is they want is hurt. equality. All they want is equality. Yeah, all they want is equality. Give me those bloody Marys look, right now! Look, I sympathize for their wanting freedom. I'm a homosexual, uh, whatever, I understand. Wanting I do your too. Legal freedom, freedom for all. Whatever, I understand all of this feminist here. But look what happened when they got their freedom. We have what we have now. So, Well, we have... Politics and we have, the United States, the greatest country that ever lived, was, you know, ruined by years, decades of women having the vote and women's... Uh, perverse maternal instincts uh, going towards homeless and immigrants and abstract substitutes for children they would have had if they didn't have birth control. So look where we are. um, And then have the choice of either going trans or trying to get a job at Whataburger by like checking the Latinx box on the application. (laughs) Um, And the country is ruined. So uh, you know, they have How their freedom. Like the they don't know. They they solved everything. They got all the freedom they wanted. They have total uh, status over men in every way and all the money they want um, and can't be judged for anything they do. But uh, look, well, now they're going. Why did you let us have that? Get all that power. Yeah, Now it's men's fault men. for not <laughs> keeping them. Why would you let us get all that power? It's men. Give us it's always men's want? fault for not uh, making more money than them, no matter how much money they make. It's always like, can't any man man up and just like make more money than me? Like, um, how do you like the part about Tippy Hedren sending a little Korean boy to school? She there's that point. She was always doing weird uh, stuff. Like, yeah, she's uh, there was that big New Yorker article about how she's responsible for like Korean nail salons. I don't remember oh the chain God. of events. Oh, I meant the character. I meant Melanie. So when Melanie describes has that confrontation with Mitch, like when he she said he she says she has to go back to San Francisco so that she can go to work, and he's like, "You work? What do you work?" And she's like, "Yes, I work." On Mondays, I go into the Traveler's Aid. On on 
on on Thursdays I meet I have an afternoon luncheon we're sending a little Korean boy to school you know Oh right Melanie's uh yeah yeah Melanie yeah she's sending a little Korean boy to school I thought that was really funny <laughs> Like the yeah, the, the, the fucking so, social, you know uh, social the social uh, charity bullshit charity, that rich people do that rich people do fake the, jobs the NGO complex Yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know those were all like fake things invented to occupy women and like keep them out of the real stuff that's what charity is and now it's 70 percent of every corporation you would learn this if you watch sending a little korean intolerance uh which shows exactly what happens uh when meddling women reformers get their way causes a catastrophic chain of events of intolerance um oh we didn't share the amazing news poly related news that pedro gonzalez pedro gonzalez himself has purchased glittering images by Camille Paglia for his. This next is like the moment when image yeah, overhaul. This is like, right. This is like when I when the and when I saw that I had two reactions. One was uh, the face of that Indian of that native chick in the curse, <laughs> sitting at the table, always looking like you know looking at. Kara. Um, yeah, Kara. One was a Kara, the Kara look, which I posted pick of. I found, thank God, one screenshot of that. And then the second thought I had, and then the second thing that reminds me of seeing Pedro Gonzalez acquire glittering images by Camille Paglia, uh, the empress of the art right, whom he himself has, had named as villain and enemy number one to his brand of socialist conservatism that he wanted to save save the Republican Party with. The other reaction I have is a one similar one to what Melanie Tippi-Hedron has when she first sees the first bird who had made it down the chimney and into her and into and invaded the home so that she was not alone in having invaded that home. And that first, that first, because she's always seeing the bird. You know that feeling, Jack, where you're hearing the menace first before anyone else does, almost psychically, as Palia points out, Mel- Melanie in this movie is always hearing the birds first. Even when she's inside, like the diner, she hears the bird way outside of a very soundproof diner. She's always hearing it before anyone else. She hears the thing, and then she looks, and then it comes. Like it's a pre- every time she's getting the she's getting it first. You know that feeling where you where you see a me- yeah. where you hear a menace chirping before anyone else does, and then they don't believe you until there's blood everywhere. But it doesn't matter, because you're the crazy gay guy who lives for drama, so it just... It doesn't matter. And has it doesn't like matter matter until three years later when, like, BAP gets credit for whatever it is. So. <laughs> wow, BAP, you were really right. Um, so, he yeah, I'm out. well used to that paper. feeling. Uh... I just like what is Pedro going to get out of glittering images? Like learning what Cam- he's going to follow you know, thinks about artwork such as "Chillin' with Liberty," uh, that like black woman like sitting on the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> like, the, like thinking about the content of that book. He's not going to read it. So well, he no, just, he's not he going to po- read he likes, it. None of them read. It's like when he posts a picture. No, he's not going to read past like the introduction. He might find something in there about her, like. Uh, that he can use as as uh, bait as like bait, bait that to call her a pedo, and then he'll post that. He's not going to read past anything. He's gonna he's not going to be able to make heads or tails of it if he does. His brain cannot handle 
Camille Polly. But the the um, two weeks of uh, this mimetic Polya freak out. Okay, we did the sexual persona episode, which was a massive success uh, because that's a topic that people are interested in, um, and because you guys were so good. Uh, but yeah, we did that on uh, exactly a month ago, and I guess the. Ch- the chain of events was some kind of like normie tard conservatard account that I and like Ryan, no, Ryan James, James you know, some like both sides conservative. They always have three names. They always have three names. You know, They're always the just, sus ones. just so faceless. But he was someone I unfollowed for being just like vanilla ass conservatard bitch. Uh, and, and he's he, gay, he right? Posted the, People say what? People say he's gay. Oh, is he gay? Like Are they gay. all? I don't know. Yeah, so he's he's the worst. He's a gay. I, I don't say he's. I don't know. He's not the worst. But I'm saying like um, like a normie gay conservatard on a la Dave Rubin. I guess is that's what he is. one of the worst things you can possibly have. Catholic I mean, too. your takes on what? anything from a gay guy outside of this room are probably going to be. <laughs> worse than almost anything you can imagine especially if they have any kind of uh, like art world status or like art you're just gonna have that susan sontag bullshit that fake credentialed faggoty tiny glasses bullshit that doesn't mean anything to anyone and they all sneer at palia um because she's the populist hero uh, but that guy posted that tweet. I didn't even watch the video. I don't know what topic. I'm sure it's something boring and ba- you know basic. Like Palia owns woke culture. You know that kind of yeah. thing. I didn't fucking watch the video, but it said Palia was almost right about everything. You know he put that almost there. Yeah. To she said he said Palia almost never misses child pornography portion of the Wikipedia page like they do. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, (laughs) and so like all the fucking like right wing and on, like just all these awful people were just giving their awful quote tweet takes on that. Every kind of terrible person, all of them willfully, I can't even go over it, but just willfully misunderstanding her just colorless, colorless analysis, but also of course, the key here and the biggest problem, uh, the most annoying thing in all this for me is that when these people say Polya, that's a stand in for Anna to a lesser degree, me to the thing called Dime Square. I'm putting that in quotes because Dime Square yeah, they loved it. just means yeah. those four pictures of the first DeVere ball that they all freaked out about. That's what Dime Square means to them. So, But really, it's just about Red Scare and the culture surrounding Red Scare. But they're pretending that there's some kind of old-timey academic that's like engaging with the ideas of Camille Paglia herself. And it's like, no, what they're doing is talking about red scare which they resent because red scare shows that you can change culture positively by saying the truth under your own face and name and you can make friends in real life and hang out with them that's what they hate um but they won't ever say that you can actually talk about shit that's not just conservatard bullshit too there's that whole resentment they hate the fact that you could talk about any you know how they, they always derisively refer to art now 
that's part of their like they derisively they, they defer, refer they, to art and you know part another thing that they mean when they say polia is podcast uh because all of those right. people have their usual uh kind of anti-podcast diatribe because it's supposed to be cooler that you're just anonymously cir having circular arguments about current thing and not doing anything um and they resent other people's success and Palia is back in the discourse in this way in the last five years solely because of red scare and because of me okay there's Correct. no other reason <laughs> there's no and other somebody reason tried to give all the credit 90s intellectual camille Palia. it wasn't bap bronze age pervert bronze age mindset referenced her but that was 2018, so it's in this hedging way where he criticizes her a little because at that point, if you're on alt-right Twitter, people would say people would get on your ass for uh, quoting positively a degenerate lesbian feminist. That's how cloistered it was. That changed because of Red Scare and because of me. So the current atmosphere that you see is because of Red Scare and because of me. So when they're talking about Palia. And that's all for the free portion of this episode for the full two and a half hour goal session. Subscribe now at patreon.com slash filthy Armenian and support this show. Join the enlightened society of rug merchants and cigar singers and oligarchs of the night who keep the lights on and make this travel agency for the soul possible. Uh, you'll get access to basically twice the number of full episodes, plus exclusively for patrons. I've been doing these smoke breaks almost every day, 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 minute uh, mini episodes on, you know, TV shows, movies, uh, incidents of the day. Um, it's It's been a, a big hit with the subscribers so far. Uh, so it's really worth it to subscribe uh, in addition to the pride you'll get from being the type of person who puts your money where your soul is. Patreon.com slash filthy Armenian. Thank you for listening and see you on the other side.